Well, good morning. Welcome. You ever forget something and you regret that you forgot it? Well, I did that at a Christmas Eve service. I forgot to take up our our Christmas fund offering. So forgive me for that. So what what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to be giving our Christmas offering um, a special gift offering to the rescue mission here in Milwaukee. And so for the next for this week and next week, because some of you may have not have brought your shekels with you, um, we'll be collecting for the the rescue mission for downtown. Okay, that's a good thing to give to. And uh, so let's pick up that right now also. And if you didn't bring your money, you can bring it next week. But it, if you'd like to, to contribute, you know, we always try to give something special on Christmas. And Christmas Eve, I just forgot. I... Put the slide up there, please. Jeff? So, Christmas Eve, and the last week, I started to talk about Genesis 3.15, and I was talking about how that is actually a Christmas uh, scripture. And a lot of you did not get it, and a lot of you were not at the Christmas Eve service. Genesis 3.15 is um, this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Well, some of you could not figure out how that is a Christmas scripture. You couldn't figure it out. Well, I said that, because last week I didn't put it all together. You had to be at the Christmas Eve service to really it all to come together, and then you, went, you would go, ah, yes, that is a Christmas. But I've never, you, know, you don't hear about this on Christmas time, but it really is. Well, so what I, I've got a cone there, and I want you to picture this. Picture Genesis 3.15 on top of a huge wide funnel. Okay? When Genesis 3.15 was first proclaimed, no one could have predicted Emmanuel, which means God with us. Who would, be, who would be seen as, as a baby. Uh, the birth of, of a Jewish baby born in Bethlehem would be the seed of a woman who would grow up to war against Satan. At that time, all that was known about the offspring of the woman who would crush the head of Satan um, was that it would happen, and it, uh, it, would, it would be from a woman, a human and from a woman, okay? And then we go down a little bit. After the flood, the lineage was narrowed to Noah's descendants and then to Shem's descendants. The lineage was then narrowed to one man, and his name was Abraham, and then his son Isaac. Then the lineage was narrowed to Isaac's son Jacob, then uh, to Jacob's son Joseph, and then to his son uh, Judah. Centuries later, the lineage was narrowed to the house of David. And finally, nine centuries later, the lineage led to the miracle birth from the Virgin Mary and thus Emmanuel, the seed of a woman who was also the Son of God, was born. So it all starts with Genesis 3.15. Okay? So that's the connection. Why I say Genesis 3.15 is really a Christmas um, 
Scripture. Okay? You with me? All right, let's turn to now today's message. All right. You know, there's that old saying, give it a rip. Unless, you, unless, you have, unless you're getting discount coffee at McDonald's, you don't know what give it a rip means. But give it a rip, if, you, if you're of a certain age, uh, when we were kids, we used to say, give it a rip. Try it. You know, you know stretch yourself a little bit. Just give it a rip. Try it. And they don't use that sl- uh, slogan too much, but I use it. I use it. I like to use it. Would you agree with me that our insights about life mostly come from our personal experiences? Would you agree with me? Some don't agree with me. Are you awake? When Marvin Spilkes was a little boy, his mother told him not to touch the stove. So what did Marvin do? He touched the stove. Right. He touched the stove and burnt his hand. Yes, insights can be taught, but with most people, they have to be experienced. You hear what I'm saying? Experience. Sometimes we make up humorous insights about personal experience, such as experience is a wonderful thing. It enables you to recognize a mistake when you make it again. You know, parents are to teach their children right from wrong. But does that mean the children always listen and do right? Come on now. Moms, dads, you teach your kids right from wrong. You sit them down. You say, you don't do this, you do that. Does that mean they're going to do it? Usually they do what? Usually that's what happens. Sometimes they have to learn from experience. And it's very difficult. In the same way. Some of us, not many of us, but maybe a few of us, are like children in our learning. And I say that because I know some of you folks don't always do what what you hear me preach not to do or preach to do. And you would think that frustrates me, but it really doesn't frustrate me. Really doesn't because I have uh, some understanding of Isaiah 55.10, which says, The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. In the same way with my word, I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all um, I want it to and it will prosper wherever I send it. Therefore, if I'm preaching uh, what God wants me to preach, it'll actually be his word that you're hearing, and it'll accomplish uh, his will. Therefore, it'll be productive in one way or another. And the amazing thing is that God will accomplish his will even through a so-so preacher. That's not perfect. You hear what I'm saying? It's God's word. And so sometimes I don't even think you're listening to me. No, no, no. Sometimes I don't think you're listening to me. But I, but I know I, I preach the word of God. And so I say, God, these are your kids. I'm just the pastor. They belong to you. They don't belong to me. I preached your word. I believe I, I spoke what you want me to speak on. So over and done with. That way I don't have, I'm not frustrated. I don't feel guilt. And I can keep me preaching all these years. 
I, I put it on God because that's where it's supposed to be anyways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful time when we come together as family. And God, a new year is around the corner. And I have great expectation for 2014. God, help me uh, encourage my friends for the new year. In Jesus' name, amen. Once upon a time, there was a perfect man who married a perfect woman. After a perfect courtship, they had a perfect wedding. And their life together was, of course, perfect. One snowy, stormy Christmas Eve, this perfect couple was driving along in their perfect SUV, and it was a winding road. They, they noticed someone at the side of the road in distress. Being a perfect couple, they stopped to help. There stood Santa Claus with a huge bundle of toys. They wanted, not wanting to disappoint any children, on the eve of Christmas, the perfect couple loaded Santa Claus and his toys into their perfect SUV. Soon they were driving along, delivering toys. Unfortunately, the driving conditions got really, really bad, and the perfect couple and Santa Claus had an accident, and only one of the three survived. Who was the survivor? Now, don't say nothing. Was it A, Santa Claus? Was it B, the perfect man? Or was it C, the perfect woman? Well, it was the perfect woman who survived. She's the only one who really existed in the first place. Everyone knows there is no Santa Claus and there is no such thing as a perfect man. <laughs> you know, you notice this is the women who are clapping. The guy's jaws drop. The fact of the matter is there is no perfect person. The only perfection possible in this life is by, by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That's the only real perfection that's found. You know, the Apostle Paul knew he wasn't perfect. Here's Paul. The Apostle Paul, he knew he wasn't perfect, but he had an objective of being perfect. Let's read about this. In Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or have already reached perfection. He knew himself. See, he, he knew that he was anything but perfect. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past... And looking forward to what lies ahead. He had to forget the past. Man, he was killing believers. He was making sure, he was, he was hunting them down. He, talk about a guy that's going to live with guilt. Okay? He says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. You know, the idea of pressing on, it doesn't come automatically. It takes effort. And sometimes it takes planning to say, I'm pressing on. Pressing on to what? To where? 
How you press it, you know, I press it on. It takes planning. And I say planning because sometimes the idea of pressing on, um, we could do something really stupid. Just the idea of pressing on, doing something stupid. It's like, it's like the four teenagers who were arrested in the parking lot of a local Walmart. This is a true story, by the way. And they were pressing on to steal an SUV. Their problem was that the SUV they were trying to steal wound up having two police officers, police officers in it that were on a stakeout. Can you imagine? Their goal was to steal this SUV. They bust in, and here's two cops on stakeout. Can we say losers? Can we say, guys, you didn't plan this out so good? My point is this. Don't be afraid to press on until you finish your race. Don't be afraid to give it a rip to do the will of God until you finish your race. We're all in a race. Don't allow your past to cripple you from pressing on. A lot of people do. They allow their past to cripple them. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. You know, I've been in this race for quite a few years now. And let me tell you how I think it is. It is a race. And we've got a goal, we're pressing on it, so here's what you do. You take three steps forward, one, two, three, and you wind up going backwards. But only two steps. One, two. Then you take three more steps forward. One, two, three. And you go back two again. One, two. But you know what? I'm two steps ahead than what I was before. And in a matter of time, you are a long ways from where you started because you just hung in there even though you went back a little bit. You pressed on. You have a focus. God is telling us to keep our eyes on the goal because there is a heavenly prize. The prize of finishing the race well is not only being called to heaven, the prize also includes an everlasting, indestructible crown of victory. You say, what do I care if I get a crown of victory as long as I finish the race? I don't know, but evidently you're going to wish you had that crown. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, you're running to win. You're not running to take fifth or sixth place. You're running to be a winner. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He says, I have preparation. I know I want to run to to really win. And I've got to do certain things. I have to train. I have to do things that are unpleasant 
so I can finish my race and finish it like a winner, to be a winner. It's not going to come automatically. It's going to take time. You'd rather do other things, but no, you need to train to finish your race. Now I'm going to turn the boat a little bit. Ready? I'm turning it just a little boat. Would you agree with me that we should plan for retirement? We would agree, but not all of us do. Okay? Or we plan for retirement. We would like to retire when we're 65, but we plan for retirement when we're 64. doesn't work that way. Just ask Al. It doesn't work that way. We have to plan way in advance. How about eternal planning? Planning for eternity. In James 4, verse 13. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while it's here a little while then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise you are boasting about your your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. Verse fourteen, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? You know? You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You would like to think it would be a certain way. You know? When I was uh, 24, 25, I wish my body, you know, I never could expect my body to turn out the way it turned out. I thought it was always going to be the same. You know, when you go shave and you admire your guns, you know? Now I shave and I go, man, it's just kind of, it's just hanging there, you know? I feel sorry for these guys that get tattoos when they're 21 years old on their arms because by the time they're 55, 60, it's just a blob. You know what I mean? And I've got some friends that are like that. You know, their tattoos turn into, you know, what are those birthmarks on your arms? Nasty birthmarks. You know, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You know, when you're you're young, you think you're going to be healthy all your life. It doesn't work that way. I'm telling you, you know, you know you're in trouble when your pharmacist knows you by first name. You know you're in trouble. I'm going to change pharmacies. I don't want my pharmacist to know me by first name. I want to keep them guessing. Oh, my goodness. You know, when you're young, you take a job, you care less about insurances. You just want a vacation time. When you're older, you realize, oh, that insurance means a lot of money. Okay? Because you start, you know, <laughs> when... You know, (laughs) when you're young, you talk about sports, you talk about good-looking gals. Gals talk about good-looking guys, you know. But when you get to be a certain age, you get together with your friends, you start talking about medications, (laughs) and you start talking about how you're sleeping. Things change. 
<laughs> How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? You don't. You don't. But it's not going to be a whole lot better. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> the bottom line is this. You, you cannot see around the corner. And you don't know what your life will be like in the future. And if you don't want to live with regrets, you need to give it a rip. Run your race with the attitude of being a winner. And a good time to get serious about your race is just in a few days. January 1st is a good time to start things. That's when you start your diets. That's when you do this. That's when you do that. That's when I change my razor blade. I was, I was going to change today. I said, no, I'll wait till January 1st. I'll make it a special day. You know. This stuff's not on my notes. But you know what I'm saying. Some of you ladies say, I'm not going to clean this. I'll wait, till, I'll wait till the first of the year. You know, you start, you start your diet. You don't want to start things the first of the year. Okay? So with that in mind, we can, we can, we can really, January 1st is, is just around the court. I can't believe it's 2014 already. It's a good time to recommit to your heavenly race. And I mean give it a rip. It's never too late to recommit. And you say, listen, Frank told me I'm in a race. Okay. I don't, believe me, you're in a heavenly, you're in a race. Okay? To be more like the Lord. You want to press into the things of God. It's not going to happen automatically. You're going to have to do things that you don't want to do. You're going to have to spend much more time with God. That means in prayer, and that means reading the scriptures. Press in. That means you've got to come to church more than once a month. That means you've got to do the things you know to do, and don't do the things that you know you're not supposed to do. That means that some things are uncomfortable. You know, you say, oh, Wednesdays, Wednesday service. Oh, there's some good movies on Wednesdays. You know, forget those movies. It's not that important. It's better to come here and get fed. It's better to get right with God and become a tither, not a thief, because the Bible says you, you rob from God when you don't tithe. It's, it's better to do things that you know that God wants you to do and just recommit your, recommit your walk with God to really say, you know what, I've been doing pretty good, but I'm going to press in harder. I'm going to, January 1st, I start, I'm pressing in harder. That's just the way it is. It doesn't have to be a whole lot. It just have, has to be those three steps forward. Do I think you might slack off around February 1st? A little bit. But you'll be at least one step further. You keep going. You keep going. You keep going. And we need to encourage each other. Encourage each other to keep pressing on to the things of God. A lot of you have been involved in ministry. A lot of you have never been involved in any ministry. Give it a rip. Some of you have been involved in ministry and you've quit. You, you, you've, you've done your obligation. You've done this ministry, that ministry. And you say, now let the younger people do it. No, there's still ministry for you to do. You don't quit till you breathe your last breath. 
you're pressing on until you finish your race. That's just the way it is. You don't want to have regrets. You don't want to have regrets and look back and say, you know, I wish I would have tried to do this in the water. I wish I would have done that. Or No, give it a rip. See if God can't get upset with you if you're giving it a rip to try to be more like Christ, if you're trying to be involved in more in the things of God. And he's certainly not going to be um, mad at you if you're trying to, to build a better relationship with him. And that's one of the things that we're going to be doing in the, starting around February is we're going to be, I'm going to be talking much more about a relationship with God, a real relationship with God, not just something in the head, but something of the heart. I'm excited about 2014. Don't be afraid to give it a rip. I would like no I would like that everybody January first change your razor blade start your diet do this do that and say you know what I recommit I recommit see we could pray right now but I want you to do it I don't want to have to lead you into this I want you to do it yourself because it's your walk with God And just recommit your walk with the Lord. You're going to press in harder. Just press in. It's a wonderful thing. You'll never, I guarantee you, in 2015, you'll never regret pressing in to two, in 2014. No one regrets that. You say, well, I'm going to have to change some of my lifestyle. So do it. So you're running a race. It's pretty hard to run a race with a winter coat on and you got your boots on and, you know, your hat on. You may have to take some, you may have to put some things off to run the race better. So if you've got to alleviate some things in your life to run the race better, go ahead and do it. You're never, ever going to regret it. And now for young people, you've got an advantage, Okay. Um, to start running that race when you're young, oh, it's so much easier, and it's so much better. And by the time you get to be a certain age, you'll be so much ahead of the people that have started running, really running the race later in life. For, for the people that are crusader age and above, there's all kinds of ministry for you. All kinds of ministry. Just ask Phil McCabe. All kinds of things. I know you're in college. A lot of you in college. You know what? There's still something you can do to give it a rip. It's plus, you're, plus you need to pray a lot more. I know college is, is there. I know young married couples. You know, you're trying to get things, things. But you start out your life, your married life, running the race strong. And older couples... You keep running, and you run even harder because the finish line is around the corner. <laughs> you think it sounds funny, but it's true. It's true. In, in 25 years, how, how many of you think, how many of us here do you think will still be here? That's sobering. That's sobering. 
25 years, how many of us will still be here? We've got to think finish line. We've got to have a focus. We've got to know that you're not going to live forever like in this condition. You're going to breathe your last breath. By the way, not many people go to, go to heaven healthy. When you come in this world, there's trauma. And when you leave, there's trauma. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. You breathe your last breath, bam. You see the reality of what I'm talking about. You finished your race. This is, this is kind of heavy to think about, but it's kind of light too. So January 1st, I'd like for us all to have the mindset and pre- start preparing. You've got a few days to prepare and say, you know what? I'm going to press on more. I'm going to press on more. Wives, a little later on today, during halftime, not during the game, during halftime, remind your husbands and say, you know what? I'm going to enjoy watching you press on. Men, after the game, (laughs) talk to your wives and say, sweetheart, it's going to be a glorious thing that you're pressing on. We're doing this together. And you do it together. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand. We serve a good God, and he wants to bless us. Number 621, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, peace in your heart as you're pressing in to the things of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Happy New Year.